Good afternoon, uh, everybody. Thank you for coming along. As you can see, I'm joined uh, today by the Health Secretary and the Chief Medical Officer. What I'm going to do is give a brief update of the situation in Scotland as it is now. Uh, we'll then take questions and I will uh, field these questions to the Health Secretary and the Chief Medical Officer as appropriate. Um, I'll start with an update on confirmed cases in Scotland. It remains the case today that we have one confirmed case in Scotland, the patient from Tayside that was confirmed last night. It is, however, important to be very clear that we would expect to see further cases confirmed in the days to come. And it's also important to be clear that we are planning for the likelihood of a significant outbreak of coronavirus in uh, the weeks to come. Um, in terms of uh, the patient confirmed uh, last night, uh, the patient is not seriously ill at this stage. Uh, they are in hospital as a precautionary measure, uh, and I will stress uh, that it is at this stage a precautionary measure. It is likely that as we see further cases confirmed, then unless there is a clinical need for a patient to be admitted to hospital, then the advice to them would be to self-isolate uh, and recover at home. Uh, contact tracing for that patient started last night and is underway, given that we are in the containment phase of this infection. That is very important, and I'll say more about the containment phase uh, in a moment. Uh, and it's also important to be clear uh, about what we mean in this context when we talk about contacts of a patient who is confirmed to have coronavirus. We're not talking about somebody who might have passed them in the street or had fleeting contact. Uh, the, the definition of contact is face-to-face -face contact uh, and also somebody who has been within a distance of two metres for a period or periods of 15 minutes or more. So that process is underway in relation uh, to this particular case. If I can turn briefly to uh, issues of wider planning, the Health Secretary CMO and I have just participated in the COBRA meeting uh, chaired this morning by the Prime Minister. Uh, one of the key uh, points of discussion and agreement at that meeting this morning was the sign-off of a Four Nations Action Plan, uh, which will be published in all four nations, including here in Scotland, by the Scottish Government uh, tomorrow. Uh, amongst other things, that action plan sets out very clearly the different phases uh, of an infection of this nature and what each phase means and the actions that uh, can potentially be taken in each of these phases. As I said a moment ago, we are still very firmly in what is described as the contain phase of coronavirus. The contain phase with any infection outbreak like this is always important. It is particularly important with coronavirus because there is no treatment or vaccine yet for this infection. So it is particularly important that we take all of the steps that we can to contain the infection and to do everything we can to prevent it taking hold within the community. And I want to stress, as I have done a couple of times already, that that is the phase we are in, uh, in our management of coronavirus. The next phase uh, of this would be what's called the delay phase. Uh, and that phase starts when it is judged by the experts that the infection has taken hold within the community. And what the purpose of the delay phase then is, is to slow down the spread of the infection and to lower the peak of infection. 
And uh, amongst other things, the purpose of that is to reduce the pressure that would be felt at any one time on the National Health Service. Now, let me be clear that it is during that phase, not the current contain phase, that decisions around, for example, the cancellation of large-scale events would be taken. And uh, I equally want to be clear that we are not at that stage yet. And decisions about if and when uh, we reach that stage and what the implications of that would be, it will be guided very firmly by the scientific advice that all uh, four governments are receiving. Let me just say a word or two about uh, wider preparedness. Obviously, at the heart of this is the need for the NHS to be as prepared as possible. The NHS has uh, well-established escalation plans in place. The Scottish Government's Resilience Committee will meet again this afternoon, and one of the things on its agenda will be to review uh, the preparation, uh, preparations that the NHS are making and how those escalation plans uh, will be, as required, uh, implemented. Uh, there is also increasingly uh, a need for engagement uh, and dialogue with wider uh, partners across the economy and society. One of the uh, priority issues that's very much in our mind as we uh, go forward over the next days and weeks is how we uh, establish and provide maximum protection for vulnerable groups, both vulnerable groups from a health perspective, but also vulnerable groups from the perspective of deprivation, uh, income and poverty, and that uh, will be something we discuss uh, later on today. Uh, the last point I really want to make is about advice to uh, the public. It is really important, uh, largely because of what I've already said about the importance of containment, but it will continue to be important as we progress uh, through the development and the evolution of this situation. It's very important that the public is abiding by the public uh, health and public hygiene advice that is available. I'm very aware that this can often sound basic to the point of being redundant, but it is really important that advice on hand washing, on what to do when you're coughing or sneezing, is followed by the public. At this stage in particular of dealing with an outbreak like this, the public has a big part to play and a very important part to play in helping us to contain for as long as possible uh, the spread of this virus. So information and advice to the public is available in very comprehensive form in Scotland that is available on the NHS Inform website and I would ask uh, members of the public to familiarise themselves with that and to make sure that they are following that advice and to stress uh, again, that in doing so, they are playing an important part uh, in helping us to deal with this situation. Uh, and finally, just to wrap up, uh, this situation we're facing is serious, and I am uh, not uh, going to uh, suggest otherwise, but it is also important to say that the situation will develop over time, um, and that's why the planning that we are doing is so important, uh, so that we are taking the right steps at the right time uh, to help us manage this as best as possible. And the public should be reassured that there are well-established uh, protocols, procedures and plans in place to deal with a situation of this nature and should be reassured that what is a serious situation is being taken uh, seriously. And, of course, uh, the public have as I said a moment ago, a part to play in helping us uh, deal with uh, the situation we face. So I will uh, stop there and uh, open up to questions, uh, which between us uh, we will do our best to answer uh, as frankly as possible.
Um, as things stand at the moment, yes. Um, but you know, if, if you uh, listen to that, you did to what I said. We're, we're dealing with an evolving and a developing situation, and it's important that decisions are taken in good order, in the right sequence, and based on the best advice. So, as things stand right now, based on everything we know, then my answer to that would be yes. But there will require to be a variety of different issues kept under ongoing uh, review. But uh, let me say very clearly that planning for COP continues apace and is intensifying uh, literally with every day that passes right now. That's it. The patient and case side, can you tell us a bit more about how that case came to light today, go to the GP, did they phone NHS 24, or what, and how did they end up getting into hospital care? I'm, I'm not going to give uh, very much in the way of uh, information with the patient for reasons of patient confidentiality, except to say, um, and I'll hand over to Catherine in a minute if there's anything she wants to add, except to say that uh, all of the uh, proper protocols were followed there. The patient had uh, recent travel history in Italy and now of course all of the proper uh, things are being done to make sure that all contacts are being followed up and where necessary tested and in all cases given appropriate advice. Uh, the, the patient has been admitted to hospital but not because of the clinical condition of the patient uh, at this stage for precautionary reasons as I said uh, earlier on that is not necessarily going to continue to be the case with confirmed cases, that unless there is a clinical need for them to be in hospital, that they, they will be admitted to hospital. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go into details of, of the whereabouts. I, I know there's been some questions about Nine Wells. Uh, the Nine Wells is not uh, caring for uh, this particular uh, patient. They're in an appropriate hospital uh, in, in Scotland. Catherine, I don't know whether there's any more information we can give in, within the bounds of patient confidentiality. Um, this, this person had had a recent travel history mm -hmm. and followed the advice that we've been giving, which was to, to phone and make contact, not to go to a healthcare facility. They then received advice to attend a, an isolated area and were offered testing as that was appropriate. So they, they did self-isolate, having recognised themselves uh, that they had some risks, and, and I wouldn't say anything more. On, on that basis then, if they clearly haven't been tested for coronavirus before they went to hospital, and clearly it takes several days if not for a sample to be tested, presumably they presented and phoned NHS 24 or whoever some days before they went to the hospital yesterday. So you're no. getting into the bounds of too much no. information, yeah. I'm afraid. But I, I, I don't think that is necessarily a, a correct assumption to make. It's certainly on the information that we have uh, about this case, it was handled entirely in line with the protocol. I'm sure it wasn't, the saying it wasn't trying to work yeah. at timescales. Did they come back to Scotland several days I'm, I'm, I'm not, for reasons of confidentiality, I'm not going to get into that. Suffice to say, and I think this is important for public reassurance, that in these cases, then public health uh, staff in uh, the appropriate health board uh, advised by Health Protection Scotland uh, will look at the people that uh, a patient has been in contact with and then make judgments about who exactly needs. So over whatever time scale is appropriate, the contacts of a patient in this situation will be traced and treated appropriately. Uh, we do have uh, Jim McMenon from Health Protection Scotland who, if there are further questions around how exactly this happens in terms of contact tracing, I'm sure we'll be happy to uh, deal with them later on. Yes? How involved are teachers and head teachers at schools involved with the whole protocol to follow? Like, the schools have specific isolation rooms if there's a people present with, with symptoms? 
we uh, have given and will continue to give appropriate advice to whether it's schools, universities or other partners across society about what to do if a patient uh, is showing symptoms. Now, at the moment, I'll hand over to Catherine again uh, to talk through this in more detail. There's very clear guidance about the case definitions, so in terms of travel history and the particular symptoms to look uh, out for. Catherine, do you want to expand on that at all? At the moment, that we have Category 1 and Category 2 countries. Category 1 countries are, are uh, Hubei province in China and, and much of, uh, of, of the um, uh, South Korea with special measures and those areas of, that the Italian government has taken a, a, a decision to, to lock down. The people with, with a history of travel to those areas and with no symptoms should contact us and all of this information is in, in great detail on our NHS Inform website and on Health Protection Scotland website. Category 2 countries, um, again uh, listed much of Southeast Asia, if you have symptoms, which would be a cough, a fever, shortness of breath, again self-isolate, <coughs> don't come to a healthcare facility, phone and the health, local health protection teams will give bespoke advice according to that person's travel history and their symptoms. If people are then attending uh, for, uh, advised to attend for testing, all of our health boards now have those services available in the community so that people will be kept away from emergency departments, from primary care facilities. We have uh, isolated areas in which that testing is being done. Some of our health boards have a drive-through testing so people who are well enough and have a access to a car, can stay in their car and again really reduce the risk of any exposure to the wider public. Do schools and universities and then the likes of those facilities isolate people? Uh, uh, we, we published some advice for schools um, last week which talks about exactly what I've said, where to, where to phone and what to then do when the health protection team takes a history if there is a child who's come to school um, with, with symptoms or with the relevant travel. And that advice will be very much given on a bespoke basis based on the travel history, the symptoms and the circumstances that it's prevailed. Yes? Uh, Mr. Minister, how long do you anticipate before um, the delay phase, phase two, kicks in? And was there any talk in the COVID meeting about the sorting of financial Well, I'll, I'll take the second part of that question and then I will lead into the first part and hand over again to the CMO. Um, at the moment, the France rugby match is scheduled to go ahead and is planned to go ahead. Um, as I said earlier on, it is in the next phase of development that decisions routinely um, around the cancellation of events would be taken and they would be decisions based very strongly on the scientific advice that is available to us. But I guess in a similar vein to my answer to the question about COP, these things at the moment require to be kept under ongoing review and in relation to that, as with any other events, that is the case. Um, in terms of the uh, move from one phase to another, it's a, a very important question. Obviously, Catherine, with her colleagues across the UK uh, and public health experts, uh, are looking at exactly these questions just now based on the data and the modelling uh, and the epidemiological advice um, around the, the spread of the infection. But Catherine can answer that question more expertly than I can. Thank you. So our epidemiological evidence would show that we would have a, a peak uh, which we've seen in China, and those cases are beginning to slow there. If there is spread then which becomes sustained in this country, we would not expect a peak of our cases for another two to three months. 
So while we are preparing and, and taking advice from this scientific advisory uh, committee which has been convened, any kind of measures which would need to be taken in order to delay spread, we do have some time before that would be necessary. So we are meeting as four chief medical officers uh, many times a week, but the SAGE advisory group is meeting at least twice a week to consider evidence. We will take that best scientific evidence and make decisions based on that. But important to emphasize that, that at the moment, there's good evidence that we have contained the virus, and it would only be that these um, social isolation, social distancing measures would need to be taken if there's then sign that we have moved out of containment phase and into uh, needing to delay. Okay, any final questions, Paul? Uh, um, just a question for the Chief Medical Officer. Um, when you say peak, what do you mean by peak? Is that what sort of percentage of the population might be exposed or have it? On, on the evidence we have at the moment, which is mostly based on in China, so we have to put some caveats around what would what might that look like in a different population. <coughs> We're expecting um, perhaps 50% or as much as 80% of the population would be affected at at any one time, at, at, sorry, during that epidemic. And that could happen in the next two to three months, you think? So we, would, we wouldn't expect to see a large number of cases in this country if this follows the spread that we're um, predicting. We wouldn't see large numbers for, for probably a, a couple of months from now. I think, uh, sorry. sorry, I was, I was just going to ask, a lot of people are wondering whether to get masks, but they're already unavailable or unaffordable uh, for people. Are they of merit? And if they are, would the state step in? Because that seems to be the only supplier that people could rely on. So mask, masks for someone with symptoms would stop them um, coughing or uh, droplets which would infect other people or coughing and sneezing onto a surface. Masks for someone without symptoms, probably the only benefit is that you won't touch your own mouth and nose. They haven't really got any benefit in preventing spread if you're asymptomatic. So I think what I would say as, as you know, from the political uh, government uh, perspective, if we moved to a position, and I, I'm not saying we would, where we were advising people to use masks or any other uh, protective equipment, then of course that would be you know, for the government to consider how uh, that supply was made available. Um, as Catherine rightly says, in terms of the numbers that she's given there, caveats have to be inserted there. And you know, in terms of the delay phase of this, uh, part of the purpose of that is to try to ensure that those kind of numbers are not all hitting at once, that, that the, the spread of the infection um, is being slowed uh, down. Can but I clarify very quickly, the, the point you made about the peak being expected in two or three months, is that UK-wide or Scotland? We would expect that, that because that the, yeah. we're, we're one landmass, that it would happen at, at roughly the same time across the UK. So you're saying you expect 50 to 80 percent would be affected in that scenario? So, so 50 to 80 percent infected. Around 80 percent of people though will have mild illness. So the equivalent of a, of a cough or, or mild flu. So fully recover and be able to return to, to work, normal activities within um, a week or 10 days. The, the, the more severely affected is, is a much, much timelier <coughs> number. I hope what I'm about to say next is not entirely in vain, but you know, I do think it's important that we give frank information around this, but in turn that it is not overly dramatised, because you know, this is over a period of time, the vast majority of cases would be very mild illness, and there are significant caveats on the numbers that have been given. So I think it's important that we uh, 
educate and give information to the public, but we do that in a way that allows the public to properly understand that, as opposed to just having dramatic figures taken out of context. Uh, Alan. Uh, last night you mentioned that people with respiratory issues in Glasgow who were having swabs taken would be tested. Is any specific reason why Glasgow? That's where we've started, Alan, to take um, swabs for, for anybody that's admitted with a respiratory illness. The intention is that that would be rolled out across all of our health boards. We started in one place because they were ready to go and um, have the, the testing lab is there. But the intention would be to do this community surveillance across Scotland. That's in addition to the um, certain sentinel GP practices who are testing people with relevant symptoms and also our intensive care units where people with severe respiratory problems are also being tested. And obviously, uh, you know, a lot of what Catherine and our colleagues are dealing with just now are, are figures available from other countries that are then modelled. Uh, this wider surveillance here in Scotland starts to give us potentially more real-time, uh, real-life information to base some of uh, that modelling on, which will refine uh, the predictions around what we might be dealing with. Just before I take another question, Jean, I don't know, given that some of these figures have been uh, raised already today rightly, um, do you want to say just a, a brief word about the NHS escalation plan and how the NHS is already preparing to deal with increased demand on its services? Surely. Um, so the NHS Scotland as a whole has a, a clear resilience plan about dealing with situations like this. Um, exactly how we uh, flex that plan is, is uh, informed by the kind of information that Catherine is referring to in terms of uh, the scientific and then the clinical advice. Each of our individual boards then have uh, their own plans that flow from that. And so uh, some uh, time ago we asked them to stand those plans up and begin to um, work them through in terms of the current situation and the expectation in the current situation. Uh, and so that's what they're all doing. They're advising us if you take, for example, uh, NSS, which is uh, largely responsible for the procurement of uh, clinical supplies, uh, then they are busy working on uh, what the demand expectation of that might be through the various phases and uh, preparing uh, to be able to meet that demand, letting us know where they would anticipate shortfalls. Individual boards are working through uh, as we go through from the current containment phase through to a phase where we would be looking to delay what the impact on that might be on them, depending on how successfully we are in uh, modifying that peak uh, and uh, smoothing it out more, what difference that would make in terms of their current capacity and what they need to do in planning their, for example, their elective procedures and, and other procedures that they undertake. So all of that work is underway. It's constantly reviewed. Uh, we are in constant touch with them and here in uh, government at a senior level in the health service then we will have uh, at least once a week meetings to make sure that all of the actions we've put in place are being followed through. That also extends to social care. Uh, so. Uh, work we had uh, some early discussions uh, again this morning on how we will take those preparations out with the direct involvement of our colleagues in local government to ensure that our social care sector 
is as prepared as we need it to be to follow uh, what is anticipated in the modelling will be the flow of this particular disease. Okay, and yes. Um, this is really a question for Catherine Collingwood, but the, the 50 to 80%, I want to get the terminology right on that. Could you explain that again and, and help us understand if that's the number of people that are not necessarily all at one point could be self-isolating in Scotland? The, the evidence we have is that we might expect up to 80% of the population to have coronavirus at some point. We'll obviously have people recovered, people then are, have, have antibodies and um, would, would uh, be completely well. The, uh, the peak that we're talking about, when we look at that epidemiological modelling, we might expect our, our, that, that to be over a three-week period, somewhere when I said in the delay from um, now to two to three months' time. So, so we would have a large number of people in a, in a short time, but with the, the, the wider population with up to 80% affected. But this is over, over months and months. And all those people would self-isolate? We will change the advice as all of this plays out. It's important to emphasise that this is a theoretical conversation at the moment. This, this may not happen. We may remain in containment. We may have our delay very successful. Um, but what we would expect is we would then change our advice to having, if there's a, a, a large proportion of the population taking that scientific modelling, there would be no point in self-isolating because everybody around you would have already had it or have it currently. And so the, the advice really changes as the phases of this um, infection uh, play out. Do you feel you've got all the medical supplies you need like oxygen therapy and continuing At the moment, as, as Cabinet Secretary has said, we have absolutely everything in, in place. We've had time to plan and our NHS is very well equipped. Okay, um, yes. Coming back to this, I was off the day we did sums. But if we take 50% of the population, that's two and a half million, and 20% of those with severe symptoms, I make that be a hundred thousand people with severe symptoms in two or three months' time. Sorry, Captain. No, it's all right. No, Karen. So 80% of people mild, another 20% that we might expect to be worse than mild, yeah. but Probably, and again, the caveats around this are this: these are figures coming out of China. We don't we don't have the same healthcare system as them, but we're looking at perhaps up to four percent of people who would need to have hospital admission. But this is over a period of time, yeah. and that is why uh, what we've already said about the delay phase of slowing the spread down is important. It's also why uh, the, the preparation for the NHS to deal with that is is important and. Uh, Jean rightly talks about the importance of social care uh, in, in relation to this. I think the other point to make is, you know, we're trying, because I, th I think it's really important in situations like this, is to be frank and, and factual in the information we give. But we are dealing right now with what are called reasonable worst case uh, predictions. Uh, we are not sitting here right now saying that all of this will come to pass. But I think the public would want to know that we are preparing on the basis of what we think is the reasonable worst case outcome here, but much of what we do uh, will be designed to try to reduce uh, that impact. Right, I'm going to take a couple more and then sort of Tom and then say... Yeah, 
without having to rely on Andy's maths, 4% of the population hospitalised, that's 200 to 230,000 people potentially. Your maths are probably yes. broadly accurate there, yes. But let me stress again that this is over a period of time. These are figures that are based on modelling coming out principally from China. That is not to say they will not turn out to be accurate, but there has to be a significant caveat attached to that right now. Uh, but the importance of clear escalation plans for the NHS, clear thought about how the NHS cares for people uh, with different degrees of illness, that's why that planning right now is really important. Um, and you know that planning is, is well underway. So the Minister of Health Secretary, on that basis, um, firstly, have you spoken to the First Minister about getting extra funds for the NHS? Have you spoken about trying to get uh, temporary additional hospital in containment facilities um, built? And if so, why not? If not, why well, not? Can I, can I just answer that? All of these discussions are underway within government, as you would expect them to be underway. There is also, in terms of uh, financing discussions between the devolved administrations and the UK government that will in due course be important. Um, you know, we need to deal with this rationally and logically. I understand absolutely why uh, you want to go to the big numbers and why it's absolutely essential that we are planning on the basis of that. But all along here, the focus is to mitigate as far as we can the impact of this, even if you don't mitigate it in overall terms, mitigate it in terms of the impact and the time period that it will hit. So all of that is important. So, sorry, first of all, just to clarify, so you are planning for the possibility of having additional hospital facilities and additional we will, you know, wards or whatever we, else. We are planning, we're not planning to build temporary facilities at this stage. We are planning for how the NHS flexes its capacity to deal with a situation like this. What that will look like in terms of the uh, the specifics of that, and we will be, you know, as open and upfront about this as we develop and evolve as we can be. Uh, but there are various uh, factors that would be taken into account, and what that looks like as we develop will be very much what we plan and prepare for on an ongoing basis. Right. One final question, and then. What about the healthcare staff themselves? They're not immune to catching this. Absolutely. And, um, the capacity, as you said, you need to flex the capacity. Yeah. What's uh, been put in place for them to ensure that you know, they need to self-isolate as well? So, you know, healthcare staff dealing with cases right now will be uh, appropriately equipped with uh, personal protective equipment. Um, as we go forward, um, of course, healthcare staff are not immune from catching uh, any uh, infection, and, and certainly not this one. Uh, likewise, there will be an impact on the wider uh, economy with people being off work. Uh, that is all part of the the process for which we are planning right now, making assumptions uh, on the basis of the best advice and information we have. It's really important to stress uh, that that advice and information will be refined uh, the further uh, through this we go. And as we are dealing with real life data from the UK as opposed to model data from China and other countries, then our ability to be much more precise about this will, will develop and be refined. Right, I said that was the last question, so I'll take literally the last question and then... Work on a vaccine is underway, but uh, again, Catherine is better placed to deal with this, but we have to be realistic about the time it takes to develop a new vaccine and uh, the, the, the reality that we can't look at that as an immediate uh, part of what we have in our toolbox around uh, dealing with this particular situation. And so many countries around the world are... are really 
working as hard as possible to develop a vaccine. The reality, and, and there's been 20 million pounds of UK funding into research of all um, types, and in fact, one of our um, University of Edinburgh colleagues has submitted a bid for um, a research study which would take place across the UK. But the reality of the, the time it takes to develop a vaccine and for that to go through the proper clinical trials to make sure that that vaccine is safe to use in a population were many months from a vaccine for coronavirus. Okay, can I thank you all? We will uh, endeavour to keep you updated uh, as far as possible with uh, regular briefings like this, but if there are particular questions you have, then we'll do our best to answer them uh, outside of this uh, formal briefing as well. So thank you all very much for coming.